Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. You can find this on page 1205 in your pew Bible. It will also be up on the screens. Let's read. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? The salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Well, good morning, everyone. It's very good to see you and very good to be with you at Hope Church again. Last time I was here was not too long ago, is that right, Stu? But it was chucking it down with rain. So thank you for this morning. This is uh, much, much more lovely. And this is, they say that good things come in three, good things come in threes. And for me, this is really the third of three wonderful occasions that we've had within the wider diocese. So last, uh, in a very short period of time, so last Saturday up in Christchurch, we had four ordinations. And that's an incredible uh, time of celebration within the diocese and life because you've got four people that are stepping forward to say, we want to serve the Lord wholeheartedly with our whole lives. And so it was just a great occasion. And thank you. There were so many. Um, I mean, obviously, Zishan was one of the four that was being ordained. But there was, was there over 30 people from, from Hope Church who came up for that? Great to have you up in Christchurch with us and a real joyful occasion. Then on Wednesday night at St. Stephen's, which is another one of the churches of the diocese, we had what's called an induction where Joel Abraham became the vicar of St. Stephen's. And you won't know this, but this was a really good occasion for St. Stephen's because they've had substandard ministry for a long time now. Uh, for those that aren't laughing and think I'm being rude about one of our ministers, that's where I was the minister. Uh, and Joel has just taken over and it was a great, again, a, a really wonderful occasion. And then this morning, as Zishan was saying a few moments ago, eight people stepping forward to profess publicly their love for the Lord Jesus and their desire to serve him. Uh, I can't think of three things which cause more enjoyment and rejoicing in us as Christians. So it's great to be with you this morning for such a wonderful occasion. How about I pray and then I, I'm going to preach from the passage that Zishan just read to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a beautiful morning. We thank you for a wonderful Saviour. And we thank you for the privilege now as brothers and sisters in Christ and as a church family here at Hope uh, of gathering together to sit under your word. Please speak to us by your spirit. Change us where we need to be changed. Challenge us where we need to be challenged. Work within us so that we might love you more deeply and serve you more faithfully. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've had the privilege of opening the scriptures with you a few times here at uh, Hope Church, but normally it's been on a larger passage. Uh, sometimes it's been a psalm, sometimes it's been a longer passage. This morning, I've only got one theme that I want to bring to you, and it's really just from one verse of the passage that Zishan read. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, is the one thing that I want us to think about this morning. And I've done it, I chose that, this passage and this theme really because of the confirmations. 
thinking about what would I like to encourage the eight young adults that are stepping forward this morning and professing their faith in the Lord Jesus, what's one of the challenges I would give them, one of the things I would like to encourage them in? And this is it. But let me introduce it in a slightly uh, different kind of way. I want to think about divorce for a moment. It's lowered the tone, hasn't it? It's kind of, there's a reason for it. There's a reason. In the second half of the 20th century in the Western world, a significant change crept into laws regarding divorce. It came at different times in the different countries in the West, but as far as I know, I think I'm right in saying it's come into every single Western country, and the significant change in divorce laws was what? Does anyone know? I've heard a couple of people mention it. What is it? No-fault divorce. No-fault divorce. So prior, and this is mind-blowing for some of the younger people in the room, because people have never known this, but prior to the second half of the 20th century, marriage was seen as something very important for society's well-being. And divorce went against that, and there were still lots of people who saw marriage as something sacred, something that shouldn't be broken. And so to divorce, you had to have legal grounds acceptable in a court of law. There actually had to be a reason accepted in a court of law to allow a divorce to happen. And the grounds had to be serious. The three A's were the most common, abuse or abandonment or adultery. But wrongdoing had to be proved in order to have a divorce. However, in the last 50 years or so, Western countries have made provision for what they call no-fault divorce where it's not that there's been abuse or abandonment or adultery or any of those things, but the couple have just decided that although neither one has acted grievously, they no longer want to be married. And so if you think about the uh, Hollywood celebrities that you see the divorce certificates on, it nearly always says, what's the phrase? Irreconcilable differences. That means there's no fault that's being levelled, it's just irreconcilable differences. And each country in the West has adopted these no-fault divorce laws. Now, I want to say very clearly, I'm not a fan of no-fault divorce laws, because I think as Christians we have a different sense of marriage. And uh, we, we know that divorce sometimes happens because of the hardness of hearts, but it's always a loss, I think, in that kind of way. But I'm not, you know, it's God who joins a married couple together, and that's not to be broken unless something terrible has happened, i.e. unless there's fault. But, although I disagree with it, I can understand why the world has embraced the idea of no-fault divorce. I can see why countries have added it to their laws and made provision for it. Because experience has shown me that with any relationship, but certainly with the marriage relationship, there can come a time, a breakup, based not on something huge or unusual or overt, not abuse or adultery or anything like that, but just because a couple has drifted apart. It's not that the relationship has been dreadful, not that the couple has been at each other's throats all the time, something dramatic in that way. It's just that day by day, week by week, year by year, the couple have drifted. Perhaps only slightly going in a different direction for a while. But as time carries on and time carries on, it suddenly it, it gets further and further apart until you realise we're not where we started. The couple haven't moved together, the passion has diminished, the spark has faded, the drift has occurred. Now, again, I want to make clear, I'm not supporting that as grounds for divorce, but I'm saying it's totally realistic, isn't it, with our experience of relationships. The, the danger of drifting. 
Well, it's that drifting, that movement, which is the danger that the author of the book of Hebrews warns you and I about in chapter 2, verse 1. He says that that drift that can happen in our human relationships can also be a danger in our relationship with the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 1, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. And the author of Hebrews is saying, I think, that in the same way that our earthly relationships can drift, our relationship with the Lord can drift. We can be moving slowly, but surely, but slowly, away from the Lord. Not because we've had this big bust up with God, not because we've decided he isn't true anymore, or a huge storm or struggle in life has caused us to turn our back on him, just normal life has drifted us away from him. And I think this is one of the the bigger issues facing Christians, especially in the West. You don't tend to drift when you're a persecuted church, but when you're a church that isn't persecuted, the danger of drift is all the more dangerous. And so I'd like you to reflect on it this morning, as I've been reflecting on it as I've thought about bringing this message to you. So let me speak for a few moments on drifting, the, the danger of it, but also how we might avoid it. There's a very specific word used for drifting here, and the Greek word uh, would have immediately have conjured up three images for the original hearers of this letter. The three images were, the first one was of a boat in the water. So if you picture a boat in the water and the wind and the waves just taking the boat wherever it, uh, it kind of goes. The second was of a ring slipping off a finger. So again, nothing overtly happening, it just kind of gravity doing its thing. And the third was of water uh, creeping out of a faulty jar or container. If you think of a jar with a crack in it, the water just seeping out of that. Now, what's, what's, the, what's the thing that's in common for all those three images? They're all passive. You don't do anything. It just happens. If there's a container with water in it, the water will find its way out. If there is a, a ring on a finger and it doesn't fit well, it will just slip off. If there's a boat in water and there's any wind and waves, it will just move. It's natural, it's normal, it's to be expected. Boats just do that if they're on the water. Water will just do that. The one that people don't believe is the one with the ring on the finger for some reason. But this, that's the one that I've actually had personal experience of, which I'll share with you in a moment, so it's true. The author of Hebrews, though, seems to be suggesting that he believes a big danger for his Christian brothers and sisters that he was writing to was that they would drift away. Naturally, normally, not that a massive crisis would come, not that a, a, a problem with faith would hit them, not that their struggles would cause them to turn their backs on God or fall away. No, just that their normal lives, their everyday experiences would naturally, normally, slowly drift them away, perhaps without them even noticing, because that's one of the dangers of drifting too. You don't even know it's happening. And so I ask you this morning, could that be you with your faith? It's easy, isn't it? We can drift as Christians. We can drift because we've been Christians for many years. And we used to be excited and we used to be passionate and we used to read and listen and have conversations, but not so much anymore. 
We can drift because it's all become so familiar. There was, a, there was a time when we were excited about and so thankful for what the Lord Jesus has done on the cross for us and what he's won for us and what it means that he's the risen, ascended king. But we've heard it so many times now that it, it kind of loses its impact. We can drift because of the busyness of our lives without even realising it. We've got so many things going on, so many things that take our time and attention. We, we don't even seem to have room for Jesus in the same way. And, and that's a, definitely a realistic one, isn't it? Our lives are busy. They're demanding. We have jobs and friends. We have studies and relationships. Some of us have uh, immediate families. We have sport and music and gaming and art and craft and shopping and the internet. We have so many things that demand our time and attention. Our relationship with the Lord can start to drift. Even for those of us who are serving up the front at church, might look that we're involved, but often, even, even in our lives, drifting can happen. I would suggest it will happen to every Christian. I think that's why the author of Hebrews warns us about it. This will happen to each of us. It could be happening to you. And as I said, one of the great dangers of drifting is you don't even know that it's happening. Think about the fisherman who falls asleep in his boat and the wind and the waves aren't strong enough to wake him but they're strong enough to move him. And by the time he wakes, he suddenly looks up and he has no idea where he is anymore. How have I got here? And he's moved so far, but he didn't even know it was happening. The ring slips off the finger and you don't even know it's gone. Th okay, I'll tell you, this, this happened to me. So I was married 26 years ago, uh, married to Jamie, and we'd only been married four months when we moved over to London to study. And the place where I studied was right in the they call it the square mile of London because it's right where all the banking and it, it's all kind of businesses and those sorts of things, but it's very near the Tower of London. And there were five of us on this course who, I don't know why we wanted to do this, but w for some reason we wanted to play cricket right next to the Tower of London. So we went to the Tower of London, started playing cricket, we had some fish and chips, uh, played cricket, I think we're told off by police, and then we decided it might be good to leave. So we left, and as we were leaving, I suddenly realised I didn't have my wedding ring anymore. Now, you can kind of feel bad and gasp, but if you knew my wife, you'd know at that moment I felt more than just gasping. I felt fear. <laughs> no, that's not true. <coughs> but it was an awful moment. I'd only been married a few months, and the ring had gone. Uh, I hadn't even noticed it had gone. Now, there is actually, I can't leave that story standing just like it was, there is actually a good uh, end to that story because one of the ministers of our diocese, Al Dry, was actually with me at that occasion and it was him who said, oh, we should pray about your ring, Jay. I said, okay. You look around, there's thousands of people walking around and doing things and anyway, I found my ring. Do you know where it was? In the rubbish bin. I'd thrown the fish and chip wrappers into the rubbish bin and it had just slipped off and gone into the bin and we found it in the middle of London, anyway, it was a good thing. But the point is, I didn't even know it had come off. Water creeps out of a broken jar and you don't even know it's dripping out, but it is dripping out. You only know when it's too late and the water's gone. It can be like that with our walk with the Lord. We're not necessarily making life-changing decisions or reneging on our faith in God. There's no friction or dramatic departure from the faith or decision to abandon Him. We just inch by inch, day by day, slowly but surely but slowly 
leave behind our first love. Like the marriage in a no-fault divorce, where there hasn't been the spectacular breakup due to terrible things done by one party, there's just been that gradual moving apart. The slow but sure but slow. Loss of passion, loss of spark, slight change of direction, but over time it becomes more and more diminishing of communication, lessening of closeness, and before you know it, you've drifted and the relationship is not what it was. It's a danger. It's a danger for us as Christians. But the thing about drifting is, the wonderful thing about drifting is, that because it's a passive act, it can be rectified by action. Because it's passive, if we do something, it can be sorted out. If you're in a boat as a fisherman and you throw out the anchor, you will not drift. If you're in a boat and you pick up the oars, you will not drift. If you curl your finger when you throw fish and chips into a bin, it will not come off. Or you can go the other option that I did, I got chubbier. <laughs> now, it's not going anywhere. And some people look at me and think, well, Jay eats a lot or he doesn't exercise a lot. No, I love my wife. <laughs> You're welcome, Jamie. I did that as a gift. Uh, you can mend the jar or you can replace it. You can do something to rectify the drifting. Well, what do we do in terms of our relationship with the Lord? Well, wonderfully, the author of Hebrews has told us. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard. But what is it that they had heard and us have heard? Well, verse 1 has the word, therefore. Anytime the word, therefore, is in the scriptures, it's saying, something I've already said is important. So what's the author to Hebrews already said in chapter 1? Because this is chapter 2, verse 1. Well, I won't go into detail, but in chapter 1, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, basically says that God spoke in the past through the prophets, but now he's spoken finally and fully in his son, Jesus Christ. Then the rest of the chapter is a comparison between Jesus and angels. And it says that Jesus is greater than the angels. And the question is, when you're reading through Hebrews 1, why are you putting up kind of Jesus against angels and saying that Jesus is greater? It doesn't really make sense. What does angels mean? What's the word mean? It means messenger. And it's saying that the angels are the heavenly messengers of God, but Jesus is the ultimate messenger of God. If you put the whole of chapter 1 together, it's saying Jesus is greater than the earthly messengers of God, the prophets, and he's greater than the heavenly messengers of God, the angels. He's the ultimate messenger from God. And that makes sense because he's not just the messenger, he's the message. He's the word. Jesus is the final full word of God over anything else, earthly or heavenly. Jesus is all we need. Then it gets to our verse. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. What have we heard? Jesus. We must pay more careful attention to Jesus so that we do not drift away. That's what we've got to do if we don't want to drift as Christians. So easy to get distracted by other things in life. Shiny things, new things, fresh things but don't drift away from your first love, the Lord Jesus Christ. What's your true love? What's your first love? I'm asking you that question. Think about it for yourself. And don't fool yourself. Sometimes we can say what we, what we hope the answer is, but not what the answer really is. 
What's your first love, your true love? Sometimes someone asked me, what's the most important relationship, human relationship in my life? I'd always want to say, Jamie, my wife. But then you've got to think, well, is it? Am I living for and loving Jamie as I'm supposed to? Or have I drifted away? You can always tell your first love, your true love, because it's what you put your thought into, your time into, your money into. That's what we do as human beings. We're thoughtful towards, make time for, and use our finances for the things we believe are important. So I ask again, what's your first love? Have you drifted? Has something else come upon you and taken your attention? Has familiarity bred contempt or the busyness of life choked out Jesus? Slowly, but surely, but slowly, if any of those things are true, then today would be a great day to make a change. Today might be the day when you say, well, no more drifting. I can sense it in myself. I know that that's the direction I've been going in. But now I'm going to drop the anchor. I'm going to pick up the oars. I'm going to get chubbier. I'm going to do whatever it is to stop drifting. Get back into prayer. You used to pray earnestly, but you don't know now. Get back on your knees and pray. Get back into the Word. I used to love the Word, but I'm not as much that. Get back into the Word. Obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. Uh, Obeying the Lord Jesus helps our relationship with him. So get back to obeying him. Repent if we're not. Love his people. It's when we're serving others that that the Lord re-energizes us and strengthens us. Are you still serving the way that you used to? Are you listening to the word and reading the word? Are you having conversations with other Christians, not just about the rugby or the weekend or shopping, but about uh, spiritual things? Drop anchor. Start rowing forward. Do those sorts of things. In a church family like this, it's a great joy. If you're uh, an older member of the congregation, meet up regularly with one of the younger ones in the congregation so that if you've started to drift, their energy and enthusiasm can encourage you. If you're a younger one here uh, and you're drifting because you just haven't got some of those rhythms in life, then meet up with one of the older ones so that they can impart their experience and wisdom and knowledge. Take a retreat every now and then. I used to hate the word retreat and used to think it was super spiritual and for only, I don't know, wizards or something. Anyway, uh, then a few years ago, a minister friend of mine said, Jay, let's go for a few days away once a year and we'll listen to some talks, we'll read some books that we want to, we'll examine our lives and think about where we are spiritually. And I said, great idea, did it, wonderful. A break from normal life to suddenly think about where I was spiritually. It was only afterwards he pointed out we'd had a retreat, and I went, oh, maybe it's not just for wizards. What do you need to do? Do you have a Christian friend who encourages you not to drift? Are you a Christian friend like that to someone else to encourage them not to drift? It's so important. We've got to move out of neutral, because in neutral, we will drift. We've got to move out of passive, because passive will lead to drifting. We've got to pay more careful attention to what we've heard, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if our eyes are fixed on him, the things of this world will grow strangely dim, because he's so incredible. Our saviour is so wonderful and powerful and majestic. When we're listening to him, we won't drift. When our eyes are fixed on him, we won't drift. The more we look at him rather than ourselves, the more we think of his truth, not the wisdom of this world, 
the more we focus on his plans and purposes of eternity, not just our own identity and issues, the less we will drift, because the more we will be paying careful attention. I pray the Lord will help each one of us not to drift by fixing our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, help us not to drift. And I pray particularly this morning for any who may know that they need to hear this and do something about it right now. Help each of us to drop anchor and fix our eyes on your Son. And may the wonder and glory of him, who he is and what he's done, help us live more wholeheartedly for you. And we pray that that would not just be a benefit to us, but a blessing to others and a witness to a world that needs him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.